Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a hard cider. What about you? I am drinking cranberry juice, still going through Lent. And on this week's episode, we will be discussing Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement. Britney Spears is one of the most successful musical artists, having sold over 100 million records worldwide, along with winning a Grammy, American Music Award, and Billboard Awards. In 2020, Rolling Stone named her debut single, Baby One More Time, as the greatest debut single of all time. One can wonder how someone so successful currently has no control over her finances, children, or even the ability to marry. To answer this question, we need to go back to the beginning. Brittany Jean Spears was born on December 2, 1981, in Macabre, Mississippi. She was the second child born to Lynn Bridges and James Jamie Spears. Her siblings are Brian and Jamie Lynn Spears. At age three, she started attending dance lessons in her hometown of Kentwood, Louisiana, and was selected to perform as a solo artist at the annual recital. Spears made her local stage debut at age five, singing What Child Is This? at her kindergarten graduation. At age eight, Spears and her mother, Lynn, traveled to Atlanta, Georgia to audition for the 1990s revival of the Mickey Mouse Club. Casting director Matt Costella rejected her as too young, but introduced her to Nancy Carson, a New York City talent agent. Carson was impressed with Spears' singing and suggested enrolling her at the Professional Performing Arts School. Spears was hired for her first professional role as the understudy for the lead role of Tina Denmark in the off-Broadway musical Ruthless. She also appeared as a contestant on the popular television show Star Search and was cast in a number of commercials. In December of 1992, she was cast in the Mickey Mouse Club alongside Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, and Carrie Russell. After the show was canceled in 1996, she returned to Mississippi and enrolled at McCobb Park Lane Academy. In June of 1997, Spears was in talks with manager Lou Pearlman to join the female pop group Innocence. Lynn asked family friend and entertainment lawyer Larry Rudolph for his opinion and submitted a tape of Spears singing over a Whitney Houston karaoke song along with some pictures. Rudolph decided he wanted to pitch her to record labels. He sent Spears an unused song of Tony Braxton. She rehearsed for a week and recorded her vocals in a studio with a sound engineer. Spears traveled to New York with a demo and met with executives from four labels. Three of the labels rejected her, saying that audience wanted pop bands, such as the Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls, and their quote, wasn't going to be another Madonna, another Debbie Gibson, or another Tiffany, end quote. Two weeks later, executives from Jive Records returned calls to Rudolph. Her debut studio album, Baby One More Time, was released on January 12, 1999. It debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 and was certified two times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America after a month. Worldwide, the album topped the charts in 15 countries and sold over 10 million copies in a year. It became the biggest selling album ever by a teenage artist. 
On June 28, 1999, Spears began her first headlining Baby One More Time tour in North America, which was positively received by critics. Her second studio album, Oops, I Did It Again, was released in May 2000. It debuted at number one in the U.S., selling 1.3 million copies. The album has sold over 20 million copies worldwide to date. The same year, Spears embarked on the Oops, I Did It Again tour, which grossed $40.5 million. And she also released her first book, Britney Spears Heart to Heart, co-written with her mother. In February 2001, Spears signed a $7 to $8 million promotional deal with Pepsi and released another book co-written with her mother titled A Mother's Gift. Her self-titled third studio album, Britney, was released in November 2001. The album debuted at number one in the Billboard 200 and reached top five positions in Australia, the United Kingdom, and mainland Europe, and has sold 9 million copies worldwide. Spears released her fourth studio album, In the Zone, in November 2003. She assumed more creative control by writing and co-producing most of the material. Despite all of the success, she had various issues in her personal life. Her relationship with Justin Timberlake ended with rumors of infidelity fueled by Timberlake's song Crimea River. In January 2004, Spears married childhood friend Jason Allen Alexander at a Little White Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. The marriage was annulled 55 hours later following a petition to the court that stated that Spears, quote, lacked understanding of her actions, end quote. In July 2004, Spears became engaged to Kevin Federline who she had only met three months before. Their romance received intense attention from the media, since Federline had recently broken up with Char Jackson, who was still pregnant with their second child at the time. They held a wedding ceremony on September 18, 2004, but were not legally married until three weeks later on October 6, due to a delay finalizing the couple's prenuptial agreement. In February 2006, pictures surfaced of Spears driving with her son Sean on her lap instead of in a car seat. Child advocates were horrified by the pictures of her holding the will with one hand and Sean with the other. Spears claimed the situation happened because of a frightening encounter with paparazzi and that it was a mistake on her part. In September 2006, she gave birth to her second son, Jaden James. In November 2006, Brittany filed for divorce from Federline, citing irreconcilable differences. Their divorce was finalized in July of 2007. This divorce started a string of events that led Brittany to lose custody of her sons and control of her life. Brittany's aunt, Sandra Covington, with whom she had been very close, died of ovarian cancer in January of 2007. In February, Brittany stayed in a drug rehabilitation facility in Antigua for less than a day. The following night, she shaved her hair with electric clippers at a salon in Tarzana, California. She admitted herself into another treatment facility during the following week. Brittany was also sued by Louis Vuitton over her 2005 music video for Do Something for upholstering her Hummer interior in counterfeit Louis Vuitton cherry blossom fabric. 
In January of 2008, Spears refused to relinquish custody of her sons to Federal Alliance representatives. She was hospitalized at Sears Cyanide Medical Center after the police that had arrived at her house noticed she appeared to be under the influence of an unidentified substance. The next day, Brittany's visitation rights were suspended at an emergency court hearing and Federal Line was given sole physical and legal custody of their children. She was committed to the psychiatric ward of Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center and put on a 5150 involuntary psychiatric hold under California state law. The court placed her under a conservatorship led by her father, Jamie Spears, and attorney Andrew Wallet. She was released from the hospital five days later. Many people were confused as to what being under a conservatorship would do for Brittany and how it would affect her control over her life. A conservatorship is a court order that gives someone control over an adult's life. This can range in time, but is normally connected to a person's ability to take care of themselves. This is where the story of Brittany's conservatorship creates confusion and anger, especially with her fans and others in the Free Brittany movement. The conservatorship has been in place for over 12 years, having been extended by a Los Angeles Superior Judge four times. In 2019, Jamie Spears requested to extend his daughter's conservatorship to 10 more states, including Hawaii, Florida, and Louisiana. Also in 2010, Brittany's mother tried to gain more control over the health affairs of her daughter, which are under the control of the conservatorship. In September 2019, Jamie stepped down as a conservator, citing personal health reasons, and Brittany's care manager, Jody Montgomery, replaced him temporarily. In 2020, Brittany's current attorney, Samuel D. Ingham III, stated in the court filings that Spears wanted a, quote, qualified corporate fiduciary, end quote, managing the business affairs of her estate instead of her father. In that filing, Brittany also stated that the conservatorship is voluntary. The judge appointed a professional conservator, licensed and bonded by the state, to be guardian overseeing everything else, including Spears' security, visitors, and medical and psychiatric treatment. The Free Britney movement argues that Britney recorded and released three successful albums at a Las Vegas residency and was even a judge on the X Factor USA in the last 12 years, so therefore she must be capable of being in charge of her own life. Many celebrities, including Paris Hilton and Miley Cyrus, have lent their support to the hashtag Free Britney campaign and a change.org petition has more than 100,000 signatures. That petition claims, quote, her father doesn't allow her to drive. All of her calls and messages are monitored. She's not allowed to vote, hang with anyone, or spend her money without permission. And if she breaks a rule, he threatens to have her kids taken away, end quote. So let's look at the two sides of the Free Britney movement. The first is that Brittany should be removed from the conservator and grant full control over her life and affairs. Most of the criticisms of Brittany's conservatorship are centered around Brittany's father and the belief that he is taking advantage of his daughter. They claim that Jamie is stealing money from Brittany, which Jamie hit back hard against stating, quote, all these conspiracy theorists don't know anything. It's up to the court to decide what's best for my daughter. It's no one else's business. I have to report every nickel and dime spent to the court every year. How the hell would I steal anything? End quote. The Free Britney support also claims that Britney is sending coded messages through social media, including posting pictures 
of a dove in response to a fan comment that stating to post the dove picture if you are trying to be released. The other side is that Britney's conservatorship is important to ensuring that Britney's affairs are handled and that she is not able to effectively handle them on her own. There has been positive gains as a result of the conservatorship. Jamie Spears' lawyers argue that under the conservatorship, Spears has climbed out of debt to reach a net worth of $60 million. Some of the documents in her files are sealed or redacted, but there appears to be no official petition from her seeking a full termination of the conservatorship. Britney's former trustee, Andrew Wallet, told the Daily Mail that, quote, people lurking in the shadows end quote, are behind the Free Britney movement, and that the movement does more harm than good. He added that Britney is in a conservatorship for a good reason, and that she may be under that for the rest of her life. One recent incident that highlights this was that she accidentally burned down her home gym. So Jenny, what do you think of Britney's conservatorship arrangement and the Free Britney movement? The conservatorship still confuses me, if I'm being honest, but I would say that I generally do agree with the Free Britney movement and feel that Britney deserves more independence in her life. I think it's very strange that someone so young would receive a conservatorship, especially if she was suffering from mental health issues that were seemingly treatable. I think someone in her life needed to take action when she was struggling mentally during those few years, but I don't know if the conservatorship was the right answer, or at least if it is the right answer today, especially because there's nothing stopping the conservator from stepping down. You'd think maybe a mental health professional would be able to step in and clear Brittany, and maybe that is going on and it's just not made public, but to me, she's clearly competent to run her life again, and I find it kind of disturbing that someone that wasn't considered to be of sound mind was told to work for so long. If she really wasn't as mentally well and capable and her dad cared about her like he says he does, would he have had her work so much in these past 12 years or so? I do think Jamie is taking advantage of her to an extent. I've heard he's never played a big role in her life or her success. So I find it kind of strange that he was given the role of conservator or that he even wanted it in the first place. Again, I'll be honest. I don't know if he was appointed it or how exactly he came to be in power instead of her mom or someone else in her life. But the whole situation is just odd to me. And something else that makes it kind of odd is that Brittany is paying for everything he does, including his legal team, which doesn't sit right for me. And I do understand he is, you know, kind of in charge of her life. So he is going to pay himself and he doesn't pay himself with millions and millions of her dollars. But the whole thing is kind of like a conflict of interest to me. And one thing that I think is really weird, and that is, I think the biggest red flag to me is that Andrew Wallet who was at one point part of the conservatorship team, asked for a raise and called the conservatorship a hybrid business model, which to me is some more evidence that Brittany is being taken advantage of. Now, Del, I will ask, on that um, change.org petition where people were saying she's being held against her will and she can't do anything and her phone calls are being monitored, do we know if that is true? We do not. There's no evidence that she's not able to live her life, go where she wants, 
the only things that she really doesn't have complete control over are those decisions that are more permanent. So her ability to actually get married, her ability to make big financial purchases, such as buying or selling a home. There is no evidence that she's not able to call someone and have a private conversation with them. If the claims from that petition are in fact true, I would 100% support ending this conservatorship, getting rid of everyone involved in any way. But like you just said, Del, we don't really know if that's true. And I think there is a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding with this case. And a lot of things just are not made public. And frankly, they don't need to be made public. And I think that there's a lot of layers to the conservatorship and to Britney's mental health that the public doesn't know. And therefore, we can't make incredibly harsh judgments. And as for the Free Britney movement, I do have some mixed feelings because of everything um, I just said. I really appreciate the work that the group has done to bring the issue to the public and to stand up for someone that the public historically has loved to tear down. And I wonder if their support empowered Britney in a way to take legal action against her dad. But I do think some people have gotten kind of fanatical over it. Some supporters dissect every little thing she posts on Instagram. And I just think that's too much because you can turn anything into something with some hated coded message. Stuff like that to me doesn't really seem to help the cause. Like I know, I know you had mentioned Dell that someone had said, post a dove on Instagram if you're trapped and someone else had said, wear yellow in your next video if you need help. So who's to really say, you know, Brittany could be messing with us or maybe she really does need help. And I hope that she does get the help she needs and, you know, she can gain her independence, but there's just a lot of complexities to it. And when it comes down to it, no one is going to know what the truth is. And I don't really think it's worth dissecting. Yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from. The conservatorship is one of those weird things because it's not something that gets spoken about a lot. You know, this is one of the maybe only example of such a high profile person being under an arrangement like this. I do have to say that with all the information that is currently available, I do agree with her being under the conservatorship. No actual concrete countervailing evidence has been presented by the Free Britney movement. And honestly, I think that her father, because he's so actively engaged in the conservatorship, he's a very easy target to lob rocks at. It's very easy to go after him. It's very easy to say that, you know, he could be doing something nefarious. But again, there's no real evidence to back it up. Like you had mentioned, Brittany does pay for, you know, the legal fees and he does receive um, compensation for being her conservator. But you have to think that he receives about $140,000 around there to manage a $60 million net worth and an empire that's probably worth over $1 billion at least. So I think that if you look at that, it means that he is trying to be reasonable. He's trying to look at ways to not only grow her brand, but make sure that she's feeling like she is in control. There's no evidence that Britney is just not able to have a say in anything. She obviously has her own lawyer that's able to advocate for the things that she wants. And I think that if she really wanted to say that 
she was in a bad place, if she really wanted to say that she needed some more assistance, I think that she would have released a statement to that effect by now. I don't think that Brittany would be using coded Instagram messages to reach out for help. The Free Brittany movement, I agree that they have done some good work to bring more attention to the fact that she's been under a conservatorship for so long, but I think as a whole, they have done a really negative job of actually trying to assist Brittany with whatever she may need assistance with. I think that when you dive off the trail too much and start going into weird conspiracies, you start to lose your message and you start to lose focus. So for me, if there is something going on with Brittany, I definitely hope that she gets the help she needs. But right now, I think that the help she needs is having her life guided by other individuals. I think it it is smart to take her dad off of at least the financial aspect and have a bank in charge of it. I think that makes sense, especially if they're saying she used to be in debt and now she isn't. Um, some people just aren't good with money. And unfortunately, when you are you know, a celebrity or someone that's making a lot of money, it's easy for people to take advantage of you in that regard. That's true. And the credit for that, for her coming out of debt, lays at the feet of Jamie which I don't think people really give him credit for. He's the one that organized it. He's the one that actually got her affairs in order. I don't feel this way, but I feel like people would argue by saying, well, that's because he made her work, you know, these past 12 years and she's been working nonstop. But we don't know if he forced her to work, if she wanted to be working. Um, she is someone that has been very involved in her career historically. Right. And if you look at the work schedule that she had, post the conservatorship and before it is very similar if you, you know, call out the outlier of the residency, which of course is a very, you know, ticked up schedule. She was already doing tours. She was already doing the routine. She was already recording albums. And it makes sense that she would add something like judging to her schedule. It's been no evidence presented that Brittany is being forced to work or forced to do anything in regards to trying to generate more income for herself. In addition to the conservatorship, I guess conspiracy, you could call it, there's a few other conspiracies with Britney too. Some people say that she was cloned. Some people say that she's forced to sing the way that she does. Um, because if you watch videos of her when she's singing as a child, her voice is deeper, I guess you could say. And now when she sings, she's kind of known for that baby voice that she has. I mean, I feel like the more successful you get, the more wild conspiracies come out. So the fact that some people think that she was cloned, I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah, I agree. I think the clone thing is pretty ridiculous, too. In addition to the personal struggles child stars and even adults in the industry have to deal with, there is also controlling stage parents who can be said to be living vicariously through their child and showrunners who dictate every aspect of an actor's life. This controlling nature comes from the studios, and it's not a new problem. Anissa Jones began playing Buffy in the 1960s sitcom Family Affairs at the age of four. Jones' mother forced her to wear her hair in childish pigtails and baby doll dresses until she was 13 in order to maintain their lucrative marketing deal to sell Buffy-style clothes. After Jones retreated to a friend's home in the wake of her father's death, 
her mother reasserted control by reporting Jones as a runaway and having her jailed as a delinquent. Anissa ended up dying from a drug overdose at the age of 18. Macaulay Culkin claims that his father was physically and mentally abusive in addition to being ultra-controlling of his son's professional life. In 1989, Gary Coleman, the child star of Different Strokes, sued his adoptive parents and former business advisor for $3.8 million, citing misappropriation of his trust fund. After years of legal battles, he won just $1.28 million in 1993. And Tatum O'Neill, she's the youngest Oscar winner in any category. She won the 1973 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Addie in Paper Moon when she was only 10 years old. She starred in the film opposite her father, who she would later claim physically and emotionally abused her when she was a child, also claiming that her father's drug dealer molested her while visiting him when she was just 12 years old. Later in life, following her divorce, O'Neill struggled with drug addiction. Producers of The Brady Bunch felt the blonde hair of Suzanne Olsen, who played Cindy Brady, just wasn't blonde enough. They ordered regular bleaching for the eight-year-old's actor's hair so she could achieve that angelic, towel-headed look. Unfortunately, Olsen's hair began falling out in clumps by the second season. Tommy Kirk became a victim of the industry's attempt to control the sexuality of their child stars. After Kirk discovered he was gay when he was a teen, Disney did too and gave the star the boot. Jessica Biel first rose to fame in the 1990s as Mary, the adorable daughter on 7th Heaven. At the age of 17, however, Biel posed for a racy photo shoot which graced the cover of Gear magazine. 7th Heaven had built its entire image on wholesomeness and they did not appreciate Biel's look. Biel was promptly written off in the show's fifth season. Producer Arthur Freed once lewdly exposed himself to Shirley Temple, when the innocent 12-year-old girl laughed at him, Freed angrily threw her out of his office. Before reforms in the U.S. child labor laws, Hollywood studios could be brutal to their most vulnerable stars. Judy Garland, for example, had to work 18-hour days on set when she was as young as 13. MGM Studios, according to Garland, had a drug regimen to keep her going amphetamines for energy during the day, and then a dose of sleeping pills at night. When Judy was 14, MGM let her know that she looked like a, quote, fat pig with pigtails, end quote. To make her skinny for her roles, executive ordered the cafeteria to only feed Garland chicken soup, put her on diet pills, and encouraged the girl to suppress her appetite by smoking up to 80 cigarettes a day. This is all like so horrifying to hear. It I feel like there shouldn't even be child stars. Like this is not an industry that's appropriate for them. I definitely agree with you. Just reading those stories and again, these are just some that we pulled out. Obviously, there's so many more examples of children being taken advantage of by their parents and by different studios. Many industries that rely on taking advantage of people that are vulnerable. I think of like the circus industry that does a very similar thing where they take advantage of people and they're subjected to horrible conditions. 
there are some protections in place for child actors. The California Child Actors Bill safeguards a portion of a child actor's earnings into a trust, which matures when the actor themselves reaches adulthood. The law specifies that 15% of a child actor's earnings be set aside in this trust and that it remain outside of the parent's control. This account is often called a Coogan account, and the bill itself is the Coogan Act, named after Jackie Coogan, the 1920s child star whose parents squandered most of his earnings. Unfortunately, Britney is among a long line of child stars that have a hard time in adulthood. Brittany is one of the unique cases because she achieved fame in adulthood. However, she is still hunted by the demons that surround child stars as they lose their autonomy, privacy, and life to fame. So there's a couple other child stars. One that definitely comes to mind is Lindsay Lohan. She was someone that um, I followed when growing up. And to see her spin out in the way she did was definitely a really weird experience. She got into a lot of trouble with the law, um, different DUIs. She also had several things happen to her, such as the break-in at her home that definitely didn't help her mental health. And then you had the addition of the fact that she was one of those kids that her parents really took advantage of her. All I remember all of that drama. I also really liked Lindsay Lohan growing up. I loved Freaky Friday and Mean Girls. And it was just really sad to see how her life kind of turned upside down. Definitely. And someone else whose life definitely turned upside down was Amanda Bynes. She was constantly held up as an example for a long time of a child star that had it all together. She was constantly propped up until she had a mental health incident that ended with her having to go into a psychiatric facility. And it really highlighted that even if someone seems like they're okay, they could be dealing with a lot of things behind the scene that no one knows about. I loved The Amanda Show. I loved all the movies she was in. I had a cousin that really loved her and looked up to her. So I think that was probably the most heartbreaking I hate to say spiral, but I guess heartbreaking, I guess, case of mental health issues that I've seen recently. Um, I really hope that she is able to get the help that she needs. I think she's doing better than she was a few years ago, but I also I think that her parents are not being the most helpful. And I don't want to get into this, but there are a lot of rumors and allegations uh, people have thrown at past producers that she's worked with and uh, claims of abuse and people saying that that abuse has caused her to have some of these mental health issues as an adult. Brittany's situation, along with the situations of a lot of people like her, have really highlighted the downsides of fame. Fame is a blessing and a curse to many people. It allows people to have a great life without the many troubles that can happen in a life within poverty. However, it also opens the floodgates of misfortune. When you have a lot of money and a lot of fame, people don't want to tell you no. So if you want to have access to drugs and other vices, such as unlimited sex partners or whatever else, 
no one's there to stop you. No one's there to actually regulate some of those behaviors. And unfortunately, it can cause you to be in a very dangerous situation. There are so many stories of different celebrities who have been caught up with drugs and unfortunately have lost their life to it. This also made me think of Drew Barrymore. She was a child star who she's from a legacy of actors. She had a lot of addiction problems as a child. At 11, she had a drinking problem. She was using Coke by the age of 12. And I believe her mom sent her to a rehab at 13. So she has been kind of, I think she's been sober since she was like 15 or 16 or something like that. So I'm glad that she was able to overcome that and kind of be on the other side of addiction and in recovery. But I mean, the average 12 year old is not around all of that. Right. And you have to think like, who was there to stop her? You know, eventually, luckily, her mother stepped in. But how did she even gain access to that to begin with? Like, you don't just develop a alcohol problem at 12 without someone aiding you in that pursuit. Yeah, she was let into Club Studio 54 when she was 10 years old. So no accountability there, clearly. None whatsoever. And another thing this is connected to is many people in Britney's situation have some severe trust issues, which definitely some are warranted because you never know if someone actually wants to be in your life because of who you are or they're trying to do some clout chasing or trying to grip off of you to try to gain access to your money. So it's definitely something that a lot of celebrities talk about how dating is much more difficult. Making friends is much more difficult because they don't know a person's true motives. Yeah. A lot of times we hear celebrities say how lonely they are, especially musicians being on the road and being away from your family is really tough. I know that Brittany has said that a lot of her backup dancers and her I guess, became very good friends for her. And Kevin Federline, he was a backup dancer for her. And, you know, she had a romantic relationship with him. And one of the things you mentioned is the fact that they're on the road all the time. And that definitely comes with a lack of privacy because they constantly have new people shifting in and out of their circle, depending upon the city that they're in. And you also have a worry that the people that have gotten close to you are going to leak your personal information. We talked about to when Brittany was going through her mental health crises and her divorce. And when, when her children were very young, it was constant paparazzi attention. She could literally not even go out to restaurant to a restaurant without people coming in and taking her picture um, I saw the Framing Britney documentary recently, and I forgot how bad it was, how bad paparazzis were, because celebrity culture and tabloid culture, I think, has very changed a lot since then, especially with social media, because now, I think we talked about this before, celebrities can really control what they're putting out there in a narrative, but back in, like, 2009... It was like the wild west of celebrity culture and who can get the best picture, who can get this person looking terrible, who can get a candid picture, who can get this person messing up. And we saw that with Britney driving with Sean Preston on her lap, which which in no way do I defend. I think it was a really poor decision on her behalf. But I do understand if she really was scared of the paparazzi, 
you know, I get that. And I was honestly scared watching some of these videos of her getting chased down by the paparazzi, them standing in front of her car. Even when she was getting taken away in an ambulance, people had cameras pressed up against the glass in the back door of the ambulance getting her picture. Yeah, paparazzi have definitely been known to be the scum of celebrity culture. There have been several accidents caused by them. The death of Princess Diana, which we're going to talk about in a future episode, was caused by them. And the fact that they were ruthless in their attempts to get photographs of her. Social media definitely gets a negative rep and it deserves it. But one of the positives is that they put a lot of these ruthless tactics by paparazzi, it put it to the wayside. It gave people more control over their images. It gave more people control on how they interact with their fans and the general public. In that Framing Britney documentary, they interviewed the paparazzo whose car was attacked by Britney with an umbrella. I'm sure everyone remembers that. And he said, like, he was so surprised because she always seemed happy to be around them. And it was kind of like a I need you as much as you need me relationship. And he says... She never wanted us to leave her alone, even though two seconds earlier, they showed a video of her saying, leave me alone. And the interviewer mentions that to him. And he says, well, she didn't leave me alone forever. And I feel like that really sums up what it was like for celebrities back then, just relentless and just constantly waiting for you to fail. How blatant does it have to be? And why would they think that she really wanted them around her 24 seven? Just because she's smiling at you it doesn't mean she's never going to have a bad day and that she wants to be your friend. Another thing that is troubling about the entertainment industry is the so-called 27 Club. The term became widely known after Kurt Cobain's death in 1994 with rock fans connecting his age to that of Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Brian Jones, and Jimi Hendrix. Though, It was notable to fans in the early 1970s when those four visionaries died within just two years of each other. When Amy Winehouse passed away at age 27 in 2011, it attracted even more attention to the significance of the age. While the club has been largely connected to musicians, it has expanded since as many young actors and artists have lost their lives due to everything from addiction to suicide to freak accidents. So Jenny, what do you think about the 27 Club? You're really bringing me back here, Dell, because I'm a fan of many people in the 27 Club. And I something I really haven't thought about in a long time, uh, I was obsessed, obsessed with Jim Morrison as a teenager. And I love Amy Winehouse. I remember where I was when I heard on the news a young celebrity had died and I just I knew it was Amy and I was so sad so because I was a fan of a lot of these people it crosses my mind the 27 club every now and then I don't think of it as a curse like a lot of people do I think it has more to do with access to substances like we were saying and celebrities just feeling burnt out and at a turning point in their careers and their lives for Jim Morrison who was the lead singer of the doors I knew that they hadn't been doing well for a period of time and they were kind of making a comeback shortly before his death And several mental health issues also start to arise in your 20s. So I started wondering recently if that could be related 
to the reliance on substances or just not being, you know, at the peak of your mental well-being. Also, people settle down with families in their late 20s as well. So that could be another added pressure that some people are facing, even if, you know, you are a celebrity and you can sleep with anyone that you want. I do think that the 27 Club is another way we sensationalize celebrities and deify them, and it helps to give them a legacy that might not really be truthful. I know people like to say, like, gone too young, who knows what they could have done with the rest of their lives. People love to say that Kurt Cobain said something like, oh, it's better to burn out than to fade away. I don't even think he really said that. I'm not an expert, but these legacies aren't always true. And these people, they're not godly people that we make them out to be. Jim Morrison was not a great guy. He was rude. He was violent. He started riots at concerts and he was a terrible bandmate because of his substance use. And I don't think he treated women in his life very well. And that's something I think a lot of people forget because he has this legacy of being this amazing musician. And being in the 27 Club, like I said, gone too soon. Where would the doors have gone if he hadn't died? I definitely agree with you. I think the 27 Club is one way people try to wrap their head around the death of a celebrity. But like Jenny was saying, there is no reason to put these deaths above others. Mathematicians have looked at the numbers and it's actually no real significance to 27. I think because so many musicians that had a big impact on people's lives died at that age, I think that's why that age was picked. So while I do think that there is a significance to a celebrity's death when you look at their individual impact on fans, I don't think that there's a reason to lump them all together as this collective. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the Free Britney movement. Make sure you click the subscribe button. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Wednesday with a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Jenny and Dell signing off. Stay safe.